Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and you'll swiftly notice that today's episode is a bit special. I indeed have no less than two guests with Jim Loria and Adam Tank. Jim is VP Sales and Marketing at Mazi Injectors, and Adam is Director of Software Solutions at Transcend Water. But actually, we are not really going to cover injectors or engineering automation, at least not today. This episode is all about improving the way we tell stories as water professionals. And this for a simple reason. Adam and Jim run a podcast that aims to demystify the art of industrial storytelling to build better brands, engage more customers, and grow sales. In our discussion, we'll cover why two seasoned water professionals and conference speakers embarked on a podcast journey and what they aimed to fix in the water industry. Adam and Jim will then reveal us why many water professionals, industry experts, and podcasters fail at connecting with their market and how to fix it. They'll explain how partnering with a behemoth online media, namely Water Online, helps them to take off and will address their long ball game to move the water sector forward. Honestly, that's only a glimpse into what we discussed. You'll discover that in a jiffy. Just before, I'll need you to help me spread the word about this show. If you enjoy listening to cool guests like Adam and Jim, head over to Apple Podcasts, give the Don't Waste Water podcast a five-star rating, and leave a comment. That's, for instance, what Eva Waterfall Life did. I'll read it out loud while blushing behind the microphone. Just amazing. This podcast helps a lot to understand the water industry and makes grid technologies visible and understandable. Grid hosts and interesting guests, definitely a recommendation to listen regularly. Hey, thanks. Thanks a ton, Ever Waterful Life. I hope you'll like this week's discussion as well, which is now up right after this. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. Hi, Jim. Hi, Adam. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Antoine. Excited to be here, Antoine. It's the very first time I have two guests, so um, you're two-on-one. Be kind with me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a cage match. <laughs> so I'll take the opportunity to have two fellow podcasters on that show, and more to that in a second, to start with two postcards. The first postcard comes from Kansas City. So Adam, can you tell us a couple of words about Kansas City? Kansas City is two cities, as we were discussing. So Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas City, Missouri, split by the Missouri River. I live on the Kansas side. It's right in the middle of the United States, quite rural. Most of the economy is based around agriculture or transit, transportation, so railroads, big industry here as well. And we're very famous for barbecue. So way back in the day when the cattle were driven from north to south in the United States or south to north, a lot of them would be slaughtered here or eaten here as part of that cattle driving process. And Kansas City is now famous for barbecue. So from that barbecue, we move to San Francisco. 
And that's you, Jim. So what would be your couple of words from San Francisco? Sure, Antoine. So uh, San Francisco, the city by the bay, beautiful area. To the south, we have Silicon Valley, as you well know. And then to the north, we have Napa Valley, uh, the wine country, beautiful area. To the east, uh, Lake Tahoe. So surrounded by mountains, lakes, ocean, just a great area. And then, of course, the city of San Francisco, which is a very cosmopolitan city and very well known for its food, its lifestyle, excellent place to be from. So actually, at that place, usually I would ask my guests a bit about their path, but I'd like to take a different twist here. You are running a podcast, both of you, together. Your podcast is about water. It's called Water We're Talking About. But actually, it's not directly about water. It's about talking about water. So I thought that's an interesting twist. And then I saw your, your trailer and your introduction, which was saying that you are the two most, and I quote, kick-ass storytellers in the water industry. So let me play a bit around that. And uh, I have this book I haven't read. You have, Jim, but I haven't read it, which is The Hero with a Thousand Faces from Joseph Campbell. But the concept is really cool. It's about all these stories, this monument of the hero's journey. And I've been at the movie theater with my daughter seeing Frozen 2, which is following that same hero's journey. And I thought, why not use the hero's journey to interview the two most kick-ass storytellers in this industry? And um, we'll be following the 12 steps of that hero's journey, if that's okay with you. Sure. Yeah, we love it. That's a great idea. Yeah. So let's start with step one. The step one is the ordinary word. So we meet our two heroes, and today our heroes are you, Jim, and you, Adam. Jim, you're the VP sales and marketing of the Mazzy Injector Company. That's a bit of your background, but it would be cool if you could guide us very quick into your steps. Sure. So I've got a degree in chemical engineering. And uh, when I got out of school, I started in the process industries, uh, started in the sugar industry as a process engineer, production manager, and environmental manager, and then moved into sales and marketing and became an expert in uh, beer brewing and uh, filtration of beer. So I had the enviable job of traveling around the world and visiting all the breweries. And uh, moved up in my career in the process industries, became a CEO of several companies. And uh, around 20 years ago, I decided to really focus on the water industry and more from the sales and marketing side of the water industry. And one of the things that uh, Adam and I connected on was the idea about marketing and how to tell stories. And uh, we don't claim to be the most kick-ass storytellers Antoine, we claim to know the most kick-ass storytellers. And, and that's what really <laughs> predicated the podcast where we felt between the two of us, we could get some really good people on. And the joke is we don't want to talk about water. We want to talk about talking about water. So that's kind of the journey to the podcast. And, and I'll let Adam fill in some of the other blanks. So if you know the most kick-ass storytellers, I mean, there are many. Let's go a bit outside of the water industry for a second, what would be a couple of names you would give here? What's your inspiration? Oh man, there's so many good ones. I think of people like Malcolm Gladwell. There are a lot of really good authors that do a really nice job of telling stories and they take things that are typically boring or commonplace and they make them very exciting and approachable to a commoner like me. Another one would be business leaders, someone like Elon Musk, hate him or love him. 
the guy's a master at telling stories. He's a master at selling a vision about getting to Mars and why anyone would put one of his vehicles, a Tesla, into space. I mean, that in and of itself is an incredible story. So I look at people like that and think the outcomes that they're driving for themselves or their industry are the exact same outcomes that we need to bring more eyeballs into water because that drives more investment. It drives more interest. It drives more talent. It drives more business. It drives everything that we need to be a successful 21st century industry, which arguably we're not right now. <laughs> well, you are working, Adam, for a company which aims to uh, change that industry. I was very impressed when I had the chance on that same microphone to interview Ari Rivet, the CEO of, of Transcend. And I'm still shocked by what you're building. But for the ones that missed episode 17, can you present your, your company and then a bit of your path? I'd be glad to. I started out as a microbiologist. It didn't take me long to figure out I hated that type of work. I hated being in a lab. I didn't enjoy the quality engineering I was doing in the food industry. And in grad school, I got the opportunity to intern at GE Water, who has since been sold to Suez. And one of the things I love about this industry is the people. Just an unbelievable amount of love and passion for what we do. And it's very hard to leave once you're in it. So through a series of very fortunate events, I ended up with a company called Organica Water, which was a small wastewater treatment firm. And the goal was to spin this software out that helped Organica put together bids for wastewater treatment plants without spending hundreds of engineering hours doing it. So they basically automated that conceptual or preliminary design process and the bidding process for wastewater treatment works. And we've done that. We spun the company out. Now it's Transcend. And I jokingly refer to myself as an engineering therapist most days because many engineers, when they come to grips with the fact that software can actually do quite a bit of what they've done for 10, 20, 30, 40 years of their career, things like playing around in Excel spreadsheets or drafting P&IDs or creating BIM models of buildings. Software is really good at doing that stuff. So I help them overcome sort of this existential crisis of what happens to my job if software starts to automate a lot of that boring work that I'm doing. But more broadly, Antoine, and why I'm, I'm, we're happy to be on this podcast and I'm happy to have you as part of the podcast ecosystem as well, is that in general, in water, we don't do a good job of selling ourselves to the public. Whether you're a utility, if you are a treatment company or a technology company, if you are someone on the regulatory side, it takes catastrophic events like what's happening in Texas right now to bring water to the forefront of the conversation. And that shouldn't be the case. We shouldn't have to wait for pipes to explode for people to talk about us. We shouldn't have to wait for situations like Flint, Michigan to happen for people to talk about the need for investment in our sector. It's just a shame that that's happening and it doesn't have to, it's completely avoidable. And Jim and I believe that it all starts with telling better stories in water. Actually, that makes us a very smooth transition for the call to adventure because I wanted to ask you what tempted you to start a podcast, but to me, that's pretty clear. You're on a mission, right? Yeah, right. That's exactly right, uh, Antoine. Adam and I, we, we met at a conference when we were both presenting separately, and we just had this uh, connection. And uh, I presented, Adam was around for my presentation. He, he got what I was saying, same for me. 
And uh, we shared an Uber to the airport together, and we found out we were both at the time living in San Francisco. And uh, we'd get together on a regular basis and talk about this whole idea of marketing and how it wasn't being done as, as we thought it should be. And the idea of the podcast started when we wanted, first we were going to do an article together. And then I saw a uh, podcast about doing podcasts and we talked about it and we thought we'd give it a try. And that, that intro that you uh, alluded to, that's pretty much the story of how we, we actually got to the podcast. And, you know, the joke was, hey, let's see who else is out there and, and who else is doing podcasts. And uh, I put a little mind map together and uh, we saw all the different podcasts, what they were doing well, what they weren't doing well. We appeared on several of them, and that's what really launched us. The other thing I'll mention right now that we haven't talked about was that Jim and I come from very different sort of schools of thought relative to our water industry experience. Jim, as, as we you know laugh about, is a boomer. We laugh about me. I'm a millennial. Clearly, our generations have very different ways of looking at the world. So part of what we are hoping to do is approach and be approachable for a broader swath of the water industry. Jim was sort of a more old school approach to sales, me with the sort of new school approach. And then, of course, how we blend the two in order to tell better stories in the sector. Talking of stories, I'd like to dig in, into that just in, in a second, but I have to follow my, my hero's journey. If the trailer is right, that means you, Adam, you were not that convinced about launching a podcast at first. Is that right? <laughs> That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. There are too many of them and they aren't helpful to the audience. They aren't valuable to people in water. They just, it's people, they're, they're talking heads and they don't really get to any sort of real value for the listener. And we wanted to change that. Yeah, Adam was very adamant about uh, Adam, Adam, and adamant. Uh, he was very adamant about that we had to give actionable results. It wasn't just to talk about water. It was the storytelling, but it was so that the audience actually got value from what we were saying. And if you notice, Antoine, we don't do much talking on the show. We let the, like you, I mean, you one of the models that we looked at and said, you know, who's doing it well? And, and we like the fact the way you are very well prepared for the podcast. Uh, we like the way you put the graphics together after the podcast. So, I mean, we looked at a number of podcasts. We appeared on a couple of podcasts, so we knew how we could work together. And uh, that, that was kind of the journey. And, uh, of course, you're going to ask about our relationship with Water Online, and, and we'll get into that a little bit later down the road. Well, before touching to Water Online, actually, you know, when I personally started the podcasts, I didn't know there were so many podcasts. But even when we say so many, if you go to Apple Podcasts and you type marketing, it's not like 10 podcasts, it's like 10,000. So I guess we are still pretty greenfield compared to that. Mm -hmm. So what made you think that it was overcrowded with similar stories? For me, it was that, and maybe it is just our little corner of the internet or corner of the water world, but I felt like a new podcast was popping up every week. And the reason I felt that way was because on LinkedIn, I saw them coming up. I would get emails about new ones. I would see at various conferences, people were launching a new podcast as part of the conference. And at some point, it just became overwhelming. One, I don't have time to listen to it all. And secondly, the couple of ones that I did listen to provided no value to me. 
selfishly. They provided absolutely no value. And so the only way Jim was going to be able to convince me to do this thing was if we could provide actionable takeaways for our audience where they would, at the end of the episode, think, oh my God, I got to go do that. Or, oh man, I need to go find a way to get budget to tell better stories. So actually, talking of actionable takeaway, and that's my smooth transition to uh, the mentor helper, which is here at Water Online. I don't know if you know this tool called SparkToro. SparkToro gives you an insight into any kind of industry. What are the influencers who are the go-to places and, and things like that. And if you type water or wastewater into SparkToro, they give you as number one water online. So you partnered with the number one go-to, the number one place for people to go and seek information in that industry. So here, that would be a cool takeaway for me. How do you do that? Well, I have been writing for Water Online since about 2007, 2008. And uh, I just connected with them and their audience seemed to gravitate toward my content. And I've been the number one writer on there for a number of years in a row. And I knew their general manager. I knew their salespeople. And I just felt that they were the ones to really see and maybe be the partner with because both of us really felt we couldn't know who would be the best people to work with. So you're the number one writer on the number one platform that makes you our superstar in the industry. <laughs> I don't know about that, Antoine, but, you know, Adam and I, we both agreed that we weren't going to be the ones to edit it, produce it. We needed to find a good partner. And so that's how we came to develop our relationship with them to work with us on the podcast. How does that work? You, you record the podcast, they edit it, they put it on Water Online, and you do your amazing mind map. Yep, that's exactly right. So we record, and they edit, and promote. And then, of course, we'll do our own promotions separately as individuals. Let me go to the transformation step. You record your first podcast, and uh, you didn't choose like nobody in that industry. You had an awesome first guest, an awesome first story. What was your feeling when you first hit that, that record button? So finally, you're becoming a podcaster, but were you excited, stressed? What was the feeling there? Well, we were pretty relaxed because I had a good relationship with Paul O'Callaghan. And uh, that's one of the things that we developed was, you know, Adam knows a lot of people in the industry. I know a lot of people in the industry. I'd work with Paul. And because he had told a story with Brave Blue World, we felt that was a perfect person to start with. And so we were nervous, um, but uh, we felt that we had a really good guest and we had really good questions. We were very well prepared. And so that's how it ended up being the, uh, the way we looked at having him as our first guest. So I'd have one for you here, Adam. You, you are very active on Twitter, which is shorter form. What does it change to have half an hour, one hour, some podcasts are even five hours. So you have much space to go in depth, which is pretty different. Does that change something or is it really same but different? That's a great question. I hadn't thought about it. So you're going to get my top of mind thoughts. For me, Twitter forces you to condense the thoughts that you have and provide value in a very short as you said, short form, even if it's a, a tweet thread. So I think I actually bring that to the podcast world rather than the podcast world having influence on my Twitter account. So in this case, 
All of our episodes are 30 minutes or less. We ask very hard-hitting, short questions to the guests that are very pointed. We don't let them get off the hook with talking about in generalities. We want to get into the nuts and bolts and the specifics. And again, it all comes back to how much value can you pack in in whatever amount of time that you have. And I personally feel like I don't have enough time to listen to podcasts. I think Jim probably feels the same way. So we make sure that the time that we spend in the interviews is direct, condensed. It's valuable. They are actionable takeaways. We have sound bites that work for our audience. And ultimately, I think personally, and I don't know how Jim feels about this, but we have better conversations because of it in terms of how we prepare, how we prepare our guests, uh, how the interviews are laid out, all of that. Actually, the way you prepare is interesting to me because for me, it's very new. I'm talking to two different guys and uh, it's a different way to conduct the interview, but still, I know that all the questions are with me and all the answers are with you, but you are on the other end. You have two people with the questions. Do you share them in advance or do you play good cup, bad cup, boomer, millennial, of course? How do you approach that? Well, like you said, uh, Antoine, it's about preparation. You know, I create a mind map for each one of the guests and we do a run through with the guests beforehand so that they know what exactly we're going to speak about. And then Adam and I, we, we just work well together and we don't step on each other's toes. And part of the value of Adam and I working together is there's that little tension, the conflict of, hey, let's ask this, let's not ask that. I came up with the idea of introducing our guests, how we learned about their work and how we first got to know them. Adam came up with the idea about the airplane banner and what you would want to tell water professionals if you had this uh, airplane banner flying around the world. So, you know, that creativity with the two of us has really worked well. And you, Adam, how is it to be the millennial there? <laughs> you know, maybe I'm fortunate that I'm bald. Maybe I look a little older than I really am. I don't know. I guess I don't feel like I'm on a I'm on a worse foot than if I were a bit older in the industry. I do think I come with a bit of a unique perspective because I see the world becoming much smaller because of the internet. And I see the value of building an online brand because I see it on Instagram or I see it on Twitter or I see it on Snapchat or I see it on Clubhouse. So I see all these different platforms and I know the trajectory of where content marketing is going. And Jim, of course, even as a boomer, is extremely on top of where content marketing is going. So in that sense, despite our differences in age, we have that overlap of how valuable we believe good content is and what the water industry can be doing. So like Jim said, we feed off each other very well because we both have the same shared vision in terms of how water brands, water people, water companies can be more, do more, sell more using online toolkit. Let's go to the bottom of that. What annoys you the most with what you see today in the water industry with what people do, with how people communicate, with how the marketing is done around our sector? Because you said that was a strong belief at the very beginning to start with that and to say, you met in that plane and you thought there's something we have to change. So what is this bigger picture you're aiming at? Yeah, I think the biggest thing... Antoine, is the fact that people think they're telling a story by giving facts and figures, 
features and benefits about their products. So, you know, they'll show their pump curves, they'll show their filtration capabilities, and they think they're telling a story, whereas Adam and I realize it's the journey, right? And so you take this journey and you want people to pretty much look at what's going on as a trend in the water industry. And then at some point, you can tell them about your products and services, but it doesn't start there. It starts with gaining credibility. It starts with understanding the audience that they're not just interested in what type of product you have or what type of features and benefits your product and service might have. It's about relating to them and understanding that we all have issues in the water industry and you can get a much broader audience by telling that story early on about trends and and market issues. So who's that audience? Who are you aiming at? Is it the water professionals? Is it the general public? What's your audience? What's your target audience? What's your persona to use the big names? We believe it's the primarily the vendors of water and wastewater technologies and services. And then, of course, if we catch anyone else <laughs> as part of that net, that is great as well. That's icing on the cake. So when we talk about who is listening to the podcast, who I have in my mind, and I think Jim would agree with this, but I'll be curious to hear what he has to say. It's a salesperson inside of a, let's say, a pump company who's out there knocking on doors, who stands up a booth at WefTech, who goes to you know, regional water association meetings that ultimately sell, is selling a commodity. And the question that he or she is trying to answer is, how do I differentiate myself enough that the customers will trust and respect me as a consultant and as a partner? And then, of course, ultimately, how will I ensure that they buy more of my equipment? That's who I have in mind. And what would be the first takeaway that they would have if they tell better stories? Is it like frameworks that they can apply? Is it inspired by the people you get on the microphone? What do you expect them to take as a primary value out of your your episodes? Well, exactly that, Antoine. Tell the story. Don't just, uh, you know, spit out data and information. Start with, hey, here's the trends that are going on in the industry and work your way through case studies and solutions. Don't start with the solution and, you know, gain people from the idea that you don't want to just spit out that information. You want to tell a story that people will be engaged with. And to answer your question again, the other idea is we both believe, Adam and I believe, that if we don't get the general public to understand the value of water, then there's a good chance that that we're not going to get our services and products sold because it's all about the value of water. So it all comes down to that. That's a very good point, the value of water. Do you think that water professionals, I mean, that water jobs are patient jobs or mission jobs, or is it just a job? Maybe it's too optimistic, but I believe they do love their work. Maybe not the day-to-day drudgery. You know, I don't know that anyone likes to jump into a pit of human waste to have to clean something up if it blows up in a wastewater treatment plant. But the mission and the goals and the values that we have in this industry is ultimately about protecting public health and 
protecting life. I don't know any other, any other way to say it. I mean, water is life. And without clean, safe, secure, reliable drinking water, and without a system to collect the wastewater that's created, either municipal or industrial, the world goes to hell really, really quickly. And I think that everyone in this industry understands that. And that's why they do the jobs they do and wake up every day. And also telling a story about the fact that water is our food, water is our energy, water is our recreation, all the ways water is linked to everything we do, everything. It's not just the drinking water that comes out of the tap. It's everything that we look at around our daily lives. I'll tell you why I'm asking that. Um, I fully agree with you. I fully subscribe to what you just said. And I see water myself that way. And um, to speak a bit about myself, which I usually don't do, but my parents met in a water treatment school. So I'm, I'm a son. <laughs> You're a water, water baby. <laughs> yeah. Born of water. <laughs> but where I was coming from is if you look to LinkedIn, for instance, and you look to human resources professionals, they're certainly very good HR people. I'm really not judging the full profession, but most of them have understood the strength of storytelling, but they just apply storytelling as a receipt. So you use IDA, attention, interest, desire, action, or you use, uh, you know, the, the Christmas TV movie receipt. Boys want girl, boys gets girl, boys loses girl, and boy gets girl bark. It works. It works, but there's no authenticity inside. And that's why I was asking if, um, you know, if all the water professionals start telling stories, but they don't believe in the stories, then I'm not sure we made a, a positive impact on this industry. I don't know if you get my rambling, but... <laughs> no, 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 I, t I totally understand. Um, but I think that's one of the good things about the water industry, Antoine, is that I think people don't just come into it just to be in the water industry. I think it's a passion. And I think most people have a passion. And I think that's what Adam and I want to do. We want to take the people, the water professionals in the water industry and take that passion and use it to tell stories so that the general public can understand it better and that they can make more money from it because they're doing it the right way. They're doing the marketing the right way that uh, convinces people that they understand their audience's needs and, and requests. Actually, you talk about making money and I saw you... Adam, sharing yesterday, we are the at the end of February when we record this, um, if you're listening to that in the future, but Innovice just got sold to Autodesk. And uh, I loved your analysis of um, telling the story of that and what it means for the water industry. Can you maybe just synthesize what you were sharing, Adam? I'd love to. It's It all goes back to the fact that water, in my opinion, is underappreciated and undervalued. And when a company like Autodesk lays down a billion dollars of cash to buy a, a very niche, very unique software solution that's specific to the water industry. It is a massive signal to the water industry, but then also just the broader market that water is a growth business. Water needs more digital solutions. Water is of utmost importance to companies who are literally in charge of the tool set for creating critical infrastructure. 
that's the type of messaging that is so important for our industry. And that post, surprisingly, is getting a ton of love. It's getting a ton of love, tons of shares. I mean, I, th- I probably shared it less than 24 hours ago. There's probably 10,000 views on it at this point. And I think it's because people in the industry, in the water industry, we're not seen. We're not seen in the public eye. It's not often that you hear the praises of your local water utility. So when there's a great story about the industry and a great, you know, something to rally around, people celebrate it. And that's what we're seeing with that announcement. Exactly, because you turned it in, into a story. It could be just dry facts. One billion, cool, Autodesk puts one billion on the table, next story. But you explained it, and I think that's why you get the love. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, I agree with you. It's a passion industry. And if you see that, finally, there's an interest of the general public when there's something positive happening in that industry and not, as you said in the beginning, just because there's a Flint event uh, ongoing or just because uh, Veolia tries to buy Suez. It's interesting to see that this new eye on this industry brings us a bit more in the spot. Maybe we are a bit more proud as water professionals to be water professionals. And yesterday I was taking my uh, daily walk And uh, I happened upon a team of uh, San Francisco water department workers repairing a broken water line. I took a photo. I posted it on LinkedIn. I I picked this idea up from Adam and uh, didn't get the love that Adam's post got, but uh, quite a few likes and and comments. So people can do a lot with with small little uh, posts on LinkedIn, Twitter, to really show that uh, there's a... uh, Uh, a need for new infrastructure, a need for investment in, in the water space. That brings me to the key performance indicators for your podcast venture. How can you tell that you achieved it, that you, you reached your goal? Is it likes on, on LinkedIn? Is it listeners on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or is it a change in the word? Yeah, I'll tell you subjectively what we've already found was that Paul O'Callaghan contacted Adam and I for an introduction to George Hawkins, our second guest, and uh, they're working on a project together. So for us to have our first guest ask for an introduction to our second guest, and they're working together, I think that's showing that uh, there's, there's a bit of influence going on. With our, our episode with Megan Glover, the CEO of 120 Water, I posted a, a minute clip of one of our interviews where she's showing off these really cool drinking water plant Lego kits that her company had made. And there's probably no less than a dozen comments on that post about where can I buy one of these kits because my community needs these or my children need these or my child's school needs these because we want to showcase what water is all about to a younger generation of people, that is priceless. I don't care how many downloads the podcast gets. If you get a couple dozen kits into the hands of children and those kids go on to support the water industry or become water professionals themselves, that's a win. That's a big win. Actually, that's something where there's maybe a cultural gap here between you and me. In France, at least, when you're at school, so uh, really before 12, I would say, the thing you visit the most is the wastewater treatment plant. There's always, once a year, a visit to the wastewater treatment plant. So it's not a matter of awareness, which is missing. It's rather a matter of 
coming back to what you say, telling a story, because these young children come to the wastewater treatment plant, they see, okay, it smells, and there's a, a pump doing something, and someone explains that, uh, you know, uh, there is uh, so much um, uh, water flowing, and at the end of the day, so much goes out in the river, and so much uh, goes out as biogas. And it's boring. As a child, it's really boring. So it's not a matter of awareness that there's something out there. It's a matter of telling the story and, and why that matters. Uh, that it's not magical that things flush and disappear. So is it that different in the States that if you don't put the spot with the Lego kits on, um, on the water industry, then, then children will never know about it? I have never heard of a field trip to a water wastewater treatment plant in the United States. Certainly in kindergarten or maybe later in primary school, you're going to learn about the water cycle. And there's going to be some, you know, educational sessions for maybe a few days or a week about what water is all about. But it's, I certainly have never heard of anyone going to an actual facility in the real world to learn about it. So Megan, of, of those kids, I mean, that's, you know, kids learn through play, they learn through having fun. So in, in many ways, that the Lego kit is a story in and of itself while the child is building it. It's another way to learn about something that they don't have exposure to otherwise. I think some of the people are starting to, um, some of the utilities are doing some outreach. I know the H2O, the H2 duo, they've done a lot of good work around bringing people into the plants and letting them know what's going on. But I think it's still early stage, Antoine. I never did it when I was a, a child, and uh, Adam seems not to have done it, when, you know, as a millennial. So, but I think it's changing. I think people recognize that we need to tell the story of the value of water, and more and more people recognize that it should start earlier rather than later with uh, children in elementary school. Or maybe it's me being a water kid. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, you know you. You touched something with this, uh, with this Lego, really, which is our industry is sometimes complicated. I give you an example that you might know, Jim. I was working for Suez and especially for Ozonia inside Suez. And when I was talking with my American colleagues, they told me that uh, they always use Mazi injectors. And I've, to be honest, no clue how one of these injectors work. So to me, it's something I never touched. I never played with. So uh, it's hard for me to get the the substantial understanding and bottom of it. Whereas if you can have everything in Lego or in, in pieces of paper and play around with it, then you get to understand it. And at the end of the day, our industry is not rocket science. It's sturdy concepts that you have to, to get once and then you understand them forever. So that really brings, a, it's a bit like what IDEO is doing with design thinking. It's really fast prototyping, uh, cardboards, uh, playing with games, and then you, you understand what the things are all about. Right. When I joined Maisie, Antoine, I found the same thing was happening. People didn't understand how they worked. So I went out and I found a, an animator who had worked on uh, movies like Back to the Future and some of the other you know, big Hollywood productions, and he ended up doing animations for the way our injectors work, the way our pipeline flash reactors work, our basin nozzle manifolds, so that in a minute, people could see exactly what's going on inside the injector and how it's mixing the ozone with the, with the water. So let me ask you a last question in this deep dive, and then I promise you that uh, I'm cautious of your time as well. <laughs> what's your long, 
long ball game. What do you aim with? I mean, is it like you guest number one was talking with guest number two and might do a project and probably guest number three is going to talk with guest number four and do a project by guest number 10, you're on Netflix yourself. And by guest number 20, you are at Cannes for the festival. Uh, <laughs> how do you measure um, that you've achieved something? And when do you expect that to be? Easy question, right? Jim's got the, I think he's got the vision. He's had this podcast vision since day one. So I want him to take this first. Yeah, sure, Adam. Thanks. Um, I had a meeting with Bill King, the general manager of War Online yesterday for about an hour. And we talked exactly about this, where we're going, what they think is success, what we think is success. We've had some really good guests on. Uh, one of the things that I think we're doing today, Antoine, is to get people to understand that podcasts can be valuable. And if we can spawn some other people doing podcasts, They're all the, all the better, you know. So telling what a story is is what we want to do. And that's the challenge we have. That's the vision we have. That's the passion we have. And uh, uh, Adam and I are talking about a book based on what we've learned from our guests. We're thinking about that. That would be a success. Uh, so there's a lot of things that uh, we think that uh, can come from this. Our partner is very uh, supportive, Water Online. I think uh, George Fisher is a uh, client of uh, Water Online, so we'll definitely talk about having this podcast that promotes the Water Online podcast, What Are We Talking About, on Water Online's uh, uh, site. So those are some of the things I see in the immediate and maybe mid midterm future. And you, Adam, what's your take? It's, it's largely the same. I, I want to find a way be it book or otherwise, to scale the lessons we're learning from our guests to the broader water audience. So we'll see what that looks like. I think a book is going to be the, the sort of the quickest path there. And then who knows where that'll take us afterwards. And one of the things too, Antoine, is that the value of the podcast is not only to our audience, but I think Adam and I both have learned, and, and I know for a fact this is true of me, that I've picked up some really good tips from uh, Paul, from George, from Megan as marketers that I've implemented at Mason. And so the value is to our audience, but it's also to us, you know, if we're, we're talking to the most kick-ass storytellers and marketers in the industry, if we don't learn something from it, shame on us. Well, actually, uh, I fully subscribe to that. Uh I have to say, since personally I launched that podcast, it's my personal MBA. You're talking with interesting people that spend one hour with you. And um, if you don't extract something yourself, then don't publish it. If there's nothing for me, then there's nothing for the listeners. That's a great point. That's a very good point. So as I promised to not be too French and to, uh, and to don't steal too much of your time, I propose you to switch to the rapid fire questions. Let's do it. It's time for the rapid fire questions. I let you decide how you want to do that. If you want to take uh, each of the questions, uh, the two of you, or uh, if you take the one that has the best story each time, really up to you. My first question is, what's the most exciting project you've been working on and why? So uh, I'll take that out first. Um, one of the things I picked up from Megan Glover was the whole idea of a deep dive into data. And we forget as companies 
that a lot of the data that we need to tell our story, our marketing story, resides within our walls. Whether it's in our CRM system, it's in our project folders, it's in our CFD modeling files. So uh, we've embarked at Amazing on a, a six-month uh, journey that we're almost completed of doing exactly that, pulling out all the data on our ozone applications and putting that together. And within the next week or so, I'm about to write an article called Deep Dive into Data Reveals Powerful Ozone Story about this journey and about how we learned from it about our own product line. We were just accepted into the United Utilities Innovation Lab. So getting a chance to work directly with asset owners on helping them automate the analysis of sustainable design for wastewater treatment plants. That's what we're excited about. That's a cool one. So what's your favorite part of your current job? I love talking to engineers, despite how challenging they can be on occasion <laughs> when it comes to talking about various parts of automation relative to their job and their day-to-day. But they are some of the smartest, most interesting people in this industry. And they're ultimately the ones that are in charge of developing and deploying the solutions that fix our infrastructure. I just, I love getting their take on the world and seeing it through their eyes because it's not one that we hear about very often. And what I love, I love to write, Antoine. I, I love to tell stories and kind of come at it from like an odd, different angle of water to just pick up some movie or music or something that people wouldn't necessarily feel was related to water, but, you know, try and find that connection that can engage people outside of the water industry that they just see water in a different light. I'll take a last rapid fire question. What is the trend to watch in the water industry? So I, 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 one of my big trends is, is the use of ozone. And I think it's a, a trend that we're seeing, as you can look at it, you, being used in uh, water reuse and wastewater as a replacement um, or adjunct to reverse osmosis and other technologies that are being currently used either for disinfection or uh, breakdown of organics, uh, contaminants of emerging concern, and so on. So I'm looking at that as a, as a really big uh, opportunity for amazing and for the water industry in general. I would say more transparency around water data in terms of usage, in terms of emerging contaminants, in, ter in terms of the carbon footprint or energy footprint for water infrastructure. I think we're going to see a lot of regulators require it. And then we're going to see a lot of utilities start to adopt it. So I'm going to go a bit off script with one last question for you, Adam, and one for, for you, Jim, two different ones for you, Adam. Um, when we were just uh, discussing before hitting the record button, I, I just noticed your immense bookshelf just behind you. What is your number one book you would advise us to read? My favorite of all time is a book called Think and Grow Rich. It was written right around Depression era in the United States, so late 20s, early 30s. And it completely changed my outlook on life and what success means and how to go about achieving success. So if anyone listening to this is struggling on, you know, basically what is life and what are they going to do about it, I recommend reading that book. Who's the author? Napoleon Hill. Yep. 
<laughs> I, read it, I read it when I was about Adam's age, and it was very influential to me as well. Okay, so I, I should definitely read that one, apparently. So let me put that on my list. And my last question for you, Jim, is, uh, you know, I had the chance to, to have uh, a full episode about Transcend, and uh, I shortly mentioned that I was um, six years in the, in the Ozone game. So I would be really interested, especially the, now that you mentioned that Ozone is a trend for the future, if you would do me the honor of making a deep dive with me on that, on that topic in a future episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'd love to speak about it, Antoine. It's an interesting topic. And, you know, stay tuned for, for what we publish next week, because I, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting for the water industry in general and for the ozone industry as well. Well, give me a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So basically, there's a lot of different ways of putting ozone into the water. There's fine bubble diffusers, which have been used to put ozone in since the 40s. And uh, Maisie came up with some interesting technology around our injection technology, our injectors, our Venturi injectors, and our pipeline flash reactors. And we think it's a much more efficient way, a much better way to reduce bromate formation. So it's a trend that's going to change things on being more efficient about using ozone for treating uh, drinking water and wastewater. Okay, I, I don't ask you directly the, the thousand questions I have right now, because if I do so, I, I'm going to sidetrack you for one more hour. Let's spend that one more hour in a separate episode. But really, that's a fascinating topic, and I'm sure we have much to extend on that. Well, thank you to, uh, to both of you for your time. I'm sorry, I was, I was French, so I took a bit more. But, uh, you know, uh, that's your fault. If you, <laughs> you, you, you would have been boring. It's quite all right. So thanks a lot. And uh, see you soon on, on the podcast, Jim. Great. Thanks a lot, Antoine. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.